Hello, and welcome to Real Talk About Real Identity from Axiom. This podcast is devoted to important identity trends and the convergence of ad tech and martech. I'm Kyle Holloway, your podcast host, and I'm joined by our co-host, Dustin Rainey. Welcome to our visitors, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Real Talk, where we like to focus on the role of identity in this exciting new world where MarTech and AdTech are colliding. For those that don't know me, my name is Dustin Rainey, and I'm your co-host here with Kyle Holloway. So with third-party cookies on their way out, um, it's only natural that the advertising industry would look for a replacement, especially since billions of ad dollars need some form of common currency or audience identifier to bid on. But it's as if Apple and Google are playing this giant game of whack-a-mole with almost monthly announcements of new restrictions placed on their browsers, devices, or use of any common identifiers assigned or generated. So Google saying there will be no cookie ID replacement within their ecosystem. Then Apple going so far as to obfuscating IP addresses or even email addresses with our latest announcement regarding iCloud Plus privacy. I think we all knew that IP address would be explored as a cookie-less option. I mean, IP is the most common identifier used to power the internet since it was first deployed in 1983. And if you look at an industry like retail, where there's typically 98% of site traffickers that remain anonymous, you know, it's a huge number. Cross-domain identity services that have leveraged third-party cookies or IP addresses allowed brands to still know something about these visitors and personalize the site experience. But take away third-party cookies and take away IP addresses, what's left? How do you personalize the user experience um, for the majority of your traffic? How do you retarget an anonymous customer? Two huge use cases. So, so the you know, the identity space is heating up. Um, we knew first-party data capture was going to be the path forward, but it's looking more and more like private identity graphs and incentivizing site visitors to make themselves known is becoming an ever more important strategic priority. Better have a good partner, right? Yeah, Dustin, and I certainly agree that there are a lot of challenges with the announcements, but I'm a proponent of taking a measured approach and stepping above the fray for a minute. The reality is that Apple changes, they're initially targeted to a narrow user base, you know, those that are iOS 15 plus, and uh, in some cases, even a paid option for some of the extension in the identity piece, or in Google's case, primarily positioned as proposals. And so we know, as we've seen historically, those proposals change over time. So, you know, we're not locked in specifically to, um, you know, kind of what's been announced so far. And we're still seeing a lot of things play out. And uh, so there's still a large opportunity for things to change. Now, with all the change going on across the ecosystem, one thing is clear. It's not about a single company or entity having all the answers, especially on the open Internet side versus the walled gardens. Partnering is more critical than ever. And with the explosion in the Lumiscape, and the emergence of competing ad tech identity solutions, it is important to have that Rosetta Stone partner that can help translate between key spaces across the ecosystem. And so that leads us to today's guest, David Skinner, Axiom's GVP of Channels and Alliances. And David, we are super honored to have you on the call today. And so why don't you introduce yourself to our audience by giving us a snapshot of your background and what led you to your role at Axiom. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kyle and Dustin. Excited to be here. Uh, as far as my background, I'm 25 years into my career. I just did that math and uh, a little bit scared at that number, but that's what it is. Uh, I've been living at this intersection of 
data and advertising and analytics for um, the second half of my career, more or less, so 12, 15 years. Been at Axiom and in the in the data-driven agency space for about six years. So I was with a company called Merkle prior to Axiom and also led partnerships there. And specific to this topic today, I was in um, I was in ad tech for about seven years before getting into the agency space. So I was at a company called X Plus One where we did targeted uh, personalization of websites and we had a data management platform and a DSP um, you know, media buying platform. So um, spent a lot of time talking about cookie spaces and domains and getting kind of deep into the tech side there. Prior to that, and kind of what brought me into the industry here, I was at a company in the media mix modeling space called MMA, joined a team back in the early 2000s where we built a SaaS platform for real-time management and forecasting and optimization of marketing plans through media mix modeling, which uh, interestingly is kind of coming full circle now as we hear about alternatives to first party and, and alternatives to one-to-one targeting. Uh, we're hearing more about techniques like statistical models, like media mix modeling being ways we can try and measure going forward. So that is a little bit about my background. Yeah, thanks, David. So speaking of, you know, all those changes and ways of of moving forward, let's talk about the recent announcements from Google and cookies uh, to Apple's most recent regarding iCloud Privacy Plus. What are the ripple effects on our partner ecosystem and how are they asking Axiom to help? Sure, yeah. So in terms of those two companies, we do uh, partner heavily with Google, being part of a uh, ad holding company. IPG, our parent company, is a large customer of Google. And uh, as Axiom, uh, we're also doing a lot with Google, in particular in the Google Cloud platform and emerging uh, measurement and analytics approaches there. We don't partner as actively with Apple, as far as I'm aware of. But I, mean, I think I'll start with, you know, first, these companies are really big companies, and it's easy to lose track of how big they truly are. I did a little math before getting on the line here. So Apple's market cap, $2.2 trillion. If you compare that to our parent company, IPG, we're, we've been on the uptick. So I'm happy to say we're now $12.7 billion. But that is 173 IPGs because like one that's, Apple. Yeah. Uh, if you look at Google, $1.7 trillion market cap. That is a, uh, 133 IPGs equal one Google. Look at some of the MarTech players, Adobe, 21 IPGs, Salesforce, 18 IPGs. So it gives you kind of a sense for, I think we just have to be humble in that these are great partners, but they're also much bigger companies than us. And more important, they have much to their business that has little to do with one-to-one advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of these decisions and moves they're making may impact this one-to-one advertising space that we're in, but I don't think intended to uh, target it and in, in directly in some ways. Um, in translation, what does it turn into? Look, we're in a more challenging environment, this data-driven advertising space that presents opportunity for us in a couple ways. So one, data-driven advertising isn't going anywhere. We've all seen the stats. The performance is just too strong. You get a 40 to 60% higher return on your ad dollars for someone who's raised their hand and said, I'm interested in your product versus just you know marketing out to the kind of broadcast population. So it works. It's not going anywhere. I think it may just get a little bit harder here in the short term. You'll also say that you know where we are in the industry, uh, working with large brands who do have first party relationships with their customers and who do spend significant dollars in the media ecosystem uh, is also you know where you want to be again large brands will find ways to work with media partners to reach the prospects and customers who they're trying to get their messages out in front of uh, there may just be more some more heavy lifting to getting there and that 
we used to be able to just rely on a single ad server and a single ID space driven by those ad servers to make all this really easy in real time. There's now more to, to work with and work around with some of these regulations where one-to-one is getting harder to uh, deliver on. Specifically, where partners are turning to Axiom, uh, one continues to be around identity. So after to this topic, even the largest tech companies like an Adobe or like a Google do not have a complete identity offering embedded in their platforms that combine an offline view as well as the ability to connect that to online identifiers. So they are still turning to us to help their marketers with that identity problem. So that's one area that we're just getting more activity than I think we ever did before of appending an Axiom identity into these tech platforms. Second area is around generally measurement and analytics. So there's a lot of craft and expertise and uh, know-how that comes to measuring and analyzing in these environments, especially as, um, you know, Kyle, you mentioned the kind of the Rosetta Stone or need to bring lots of different data together more and more so going forward uh, with a lot of different ID spaces. So the need for folks who really know how to do that, have experience in it, that's another ask that we're getting frequently from partners. And then finally, it's because kind of the general area of, hey, can you help us stand up and run our technology? Uh, these companies, by and large, are tech companies. They they don't like services. It's not the margins they're looking for. It's not the business models that they uh, are looking for. So um, to have expert folks to stand up, run, operate their platforms is also an asset we're getting frequently. So the to kind of bring it back full circle, I think as there's more complexity introduced through need for more identifiers, stitching together more identity, the, the need for uh, a solution company like Axiom, I think, is actually even greater than perhaps it was five years ago. That's great. And a great overview there of kind of the various interactions with these companies that, you know, brands like us have. I think it was interesting you'd pointed out just the size right at the beginning. And, you know, when uh, Google had their most recent announcement, we uh, were having a briefing uh, with, you know, some Google partners and, you know, the the word from Google back was like, we asked a question specifically, you know, how Chrome was going to behave around something. And the answer was, well, we're the ads team. We don't know. We'll have to ask the, you know, the Chrome team and the Chrome team made a decision. And as the ads team, we're actually still trying to figure out what that means. So, you know, to your point, we, on the outside, I think a lot of times we just look at like Google or Apple or Amazon as this big collective, well-synced beast. But the reality is, just as we all struggle at times coordinating across teams, even within our own companies, at the scale, as you mentioned, you know, 100 times X, you can only imagine the challenges that they've got and that there are some decisions that are made that they maybe don't have a full you know, perspective on all of the residual impacts to that, even within their own enterprise, much less across, you know, the whole open internet. And so uh, that's a great call out and something that I need to remind myself, right? (laughs) Is like, hey, not everybody knows everything that's going on all the time. And so we just kind of have to walk into these things. You really called out some interesting things. Why do you think it is that even at that size, and maybe it's partly because of their sheer size, that things like identity are still such a challenge? 
not to oversimplify, but I, I, it's just that my, my view, at least, is these tech companies didn't grow up as data companies. They grew up as technology companies, and and you know, data and tech are fundamentally you know, two different worlds. So that's the I think the simple answer is that companies like Axiom have been managing customer data for use in marketing for for fifty years now. Our tech partners, who were uh, you know very much joined at the hip with to deliver great experiences for their customers have grown up by and large in the space of robust high availability real-time software in the cloud that's what they do really well by the way until recently data hasn't really been in the cloud right the world that we have grown up in over the last 15 20 years in the world of online advertising is the Database typically sat on-premise, right? So, you know, pick your big bank or pick your big airline. Database is sitting on-premise in a uh, custom environment. Um, data is getting fed from that into the uh, online advertising environment or into the MarTech environment, usually through a batch a batch upload, right? I'll take my data, I'll, I'll push my customer up into the online environment every night, and then I'll some data will flow back every night or every week or whatever that batch update was. So the data, you know, certainly the the high value customer data sat on premise versus in the cloud. Um, we're now in this, I think, frankly, really fun next decade or next phase to the tech ecosystem where you know data is now moving to the cloud at, at great rates and, and not and not just any data but customer data is moving to the cloud uh, companies i think are reasonably now uh, feel better at security and feel, feel better at reliability and all those things that may have prevented from not from putting customer data in the cloud before so we're now kind of living in this intersection of data moving to the cloud and uh, tech companies, you know, needing to take advantage of this to deliver these experiences. So, so I think we just kind of grew up in different worlds. Axiom and our, you know, companies like us grew up managing that data, and now uh, folks like Adobe and Google and Salesforce are uh, learning quickly that you know the importance of data to their value propositions, and also the importance of getting data right because you can make the assumption, which the tech industry really has up until now, that we're assuming clean data coming into the platform and you kind of like wipe your hands like, Hey, we're assuming clean data with that. We can do great things. You know, we all know that data is never clean and often the hardest part of doing a data analysis is getting the data clean. You spend you know 90% of the time getting the data clean and 10% actually analyzing it. Um, so I think that's what we're, that's what we're seeing. And, you know, of course, identity is just a very fine grain specific version of data, but I think that's why there's still, you know, the need for, for, uh, for companies like us in this space. Yeah, you know, I know we talked a lot about like the big boys, right? The the Googles and the the Apples and Salesforce and Adobe. There's also just a, a ton of other identity players out there. Um, and, and more specifically, like I would say, you're like around ad tech, right? Uh, the DSPs. Uh, if you think about you know Trade Desk, you know SSPs and the Magnites of the world. So these shifts that the big guys are making because you know really they they own the highways they they own the ecosystem so the changes they make affect us all what conversations have you been having you know in that, that space you know related to not necessarily the ones making the decisions but the ones being impacted by decisions how has that impacted your conversations and with partners that that are being impacted in the identity space right yeah i mean i think a couple of points uh come out in uh, you know in the uh, call it the longer tail of uh, Martech and Adtech uh, partners of ours. You know, one is 
they, like us, like others in the industry, see the need for uh, for first-party data. So uh, we're doing direct integrations with these platforms to make Axiom first-party data available in their platforms in ways that don't count on, say, a real-time cookie or real-time lookup. So that's one trend is increasingly these platforms call it housing first party data assets uh, so that it's usable in their in their platforms you're also hearing um, about innovation so for example in um, viant who's a partner of ours who's an independent dsp recently announced their household id uh, which builds off of first party id but also builds off of uh, their graph of connected devices in a household and having some history on kind of which devices map to which IP addresses to which household is kind of uh, you know, my my you know layperson's explanation of it, I guess. Um, so on the one hand, you'd say, hey, um, what's the impact of Apple's announcement on that? I think you know the, the sands are shifting, so I can't say for sure, but I think we're seeing innovation from uh, these partners and building out their own views on identity. Third point is um, moving to a multi-ID architecture uh, where rather than in the past a DSP might you know really just rely on its own its own identifier it could drop a cookie that was its that was its master key out to the whole open ecosystem you know with things like you know, trades desks you know product launches around their ID 2.0 which is really just think of it as like a bookshelf where you you can put multiple IDs into that bookshelf and and they handle the mapping of all those so those are some of the things that we're seeing from the DSP SSP side, and then you know, increasingly, you know, not a surprise, um, you know, those who have the relationships with the large media companies and publishers, and those who have the authenticated traffic on the supply side, um, you know, there's real value to to those relationships. That's great. You know, it's it brings up an interesting piece, kind of combining where you're talking about the fact that with the broader adoption of the cloud or cloud technologies and the movement of data, which is traditionally offline into those ecosystems. And then just also the digitization of our experiences, you know, with businesses, it is kind of crystallizing the view that, you know, identity is really at the crux of, of that convergence in that that's why it's a challenge right now is because you had an ecosystem that was basically anonymous only type ecosystem because even third-party cookies highly anonymized i mean you could recognize somebody but you didn't know who they were necessarily but you were able to track things but in this anonymous state and then you had the offline where you had direct mail very specific you know high precision identity and, and certainly as you got into operational use cases of actually authenticating an individual. And I mean, it really is two philosophical different worldviews that are colliding, right? And trying to mesh them together. And then you kind of have this outcry of privacy, which is not really so much about identity, but it's just about the you know amount of fraud and the amount of concern there is around data on the consumer side. And I think uh, identity is an easy thing to kind of call out, right? It's like your your own, you know, identity fraud. It just makes people scared. But then when you so when you converge all those together, you can see why it's such a hot point. As leader uh, within a a group like Axiom and IPG and around channels and alliances, 
David, what are the things you look for in partners when you're looking at those worldviews and the fact that you're kind of sitting <laughs> at a convergence of those worldviews? Like, what do you look for? What's important to you when you're kind of pursuing partnerships in this day and age? A couple of thoughts. Um, you know, first, look for partners who uh, are you know, of a large scale. We're ultimately trying to solve problems on behalf of our clients who tend to be you know, the largest marketers in the world. So we look for partners who are large enough that we feel they've got the market reach and um, honestly have the, the track record that we feel like they're someone who we kind of trust to do business with. So that's an important place to start. You know, second, do look for partners who are and have a history of being call it ecosystem friendly. Um, so there's companies out there who have demonstrated partnership marketplaces, who have demonstrated systems integration, ecosystems of SI partners. You know, and there's companies who who don't, right? There's companies who tend to kind of be pretty integrated in their stack and um and, and tend to kind of, it's really easy if you use their approach. If you want to partner, uh, it could be a lot more challenging. So, um, you know, look for, for companies that have a, a history of being partner friendly. You know, third, I think as a data and identity company, we you know, certainly look for companies who value data and identity as part of their offerings. And that tends to be companies who have probably worked in the industries where we've traditionally done well, which are industries where they do have a, a direct customer relationship and do uh, market directly to their end consumer. So uh, companies who've done a lot in financial services, you know, who've worked in telco, who've worked in retail, who've worked in travel, those industries that one, know their customers and two, have been able to track the results and performance of all of this because you know, this can get complicated and some might say costly uh, very quickly if you can't measure the impact of all that. So, you know, those are t- the types of partners, um, I think, who uh, who tend to uh, who tend to stand out for us. You know, we also take an approach of, you know, kind of proving out our partnerships just regularly and looking and ensure we continually have new partners who are evaluating, kind of building that innovation pipeline. Um, and also, if a, if a partnership's not proving out either from our side or the partner side, you know, it's okay to kind of move on and, and and perhaps move to the next phase of the relationship. So, kind of keeping that, uh, always keeping the the your eyes out to the marketplace on who might be a good next partner to innovate with are also an, an important criteria for us. Yeah, are you seeing any kind of common trends in innovation? I, like, are, are you seeing a lot more companies integrating? I guess machine learning and AI, you know, and, you know, as far as reaching scale, even I know Colin, I also kind of keep our ear to the ground. And when you see companies that are three, four years old, that amass a massive amount of data, how are they doing that? (laughs) But, but then is that, you know, part of your vetting um, when you're looking at, at a potential partner is how long they've been in the the industry and and what tools are they using? Um, What, where do you see them three years from now? So what are some, some things you're seeing from an innovation perspective? Yeah. Yeah. So good call out our, our privacy team. Uh, be too happy if we didn't call out our, our security and privacy process. So yeah, any, any partner we work with goes through, uh, seems very rigorous, uh, security privacy process, which is, uh, uh pr- proven and, and I'd say one of the more rigorous ones out there. And one of the bigger innovation trends when you bring up AI ML, honestly, that's, not as much of a new thing for me. I'm kind of waiting to see what'll be the the real impact of that. I mean, if you if you look at across the ecosystem, you know, the, the big Martech providers have all had their version of Sensei or Einstein or 
uh, Watson or you name it. To me, that's been more incremental. Like one, one of the bigger new trends that stood out for me is innovative approaches to sharing data and the in particular what we're seeing now around the ability to share data without actually moving that data. So coming back to the some of the I think privacy security concerns. Hey, if I'm going to be sharing customer data with a partner, uh, I feel a lot better about it if I know that that data is physically not leaving my four walls. And we have ways of of uh, sharing either through tokens or through some other shared identifier. Um, the ability to kind of get the means to the end of, uh, of, of, of exchanging that data without it actually going from my server to their server or from my building to their building. Um, so I think we're seeing that in lots of different flavors these days, whether it's um, you know, InfoSum is one that's gotten a lot of press recently around that. But uh, of course, Snowflake is getting a lot of press around that. And that's that's a consistent one that I think we're just starting to see how that will play out. So excited to keep an eye on that in the coming year or so. David one. So grateful that you jumped on and and our guest on our our show here today. We do like to wrap up with a, a pretty standard question, and Kyle and I talk about needing to, to push this date back because we're getting ever closer. But it's the year twenty thirty. What does consumer engagement look like, and do you see a scarier Orwellian type future, or do you see brighter days ahead? Like I'm, I'm optimistic about it for two reasons. One, it's it's my industry, so uh, we're all uh, hey, we have to we have to cut our biases. So you know, put that aside, um, I, no. If if you come back to it, I think as consumers, we all appreciate being recognized by the brands who we choose to do business with, and as long as it's on our terms, and as long as I get value out of the interaction, you know, we we all do, we we all do benefit from uh, the, the brands that we do business with um, having a a view on us over time and a nod towards our preferences or uh, understanding of our preferences to make it a better experience. So, and, you know, you go back to the old, you know, concierge at the hotel uh, example, been around for decades, if not longer, you know, they can ask you a few questions about where you might want to have dinner that night and recommend a, a great restaurant for you. And I think, you know, that type of value exchange um, will continue. Um, and, and I think we will, raise our hand to be recognized. I think we will as consumers, you know, raise our hand to be, to be remembered. And, um, so I, I'm optimistic about the future. You know, one, one specific thing that I wonder if will happen is whether there will be like a clearinghouse for our identity, almost like, like a locker. We have all, all of our information in and just choose to make that available to whatever, um, whoever we want to make it available to. So if you like use the example of like, if you use a password manager today, you've kind of got a vault that owns all your passwords and then you just opt that in based on where you're going. I wonder if we're heading to a world where our identity, whether we choose to share that with uh, your doctor instead of having to fill out all these forms before your first visit or choose to share that with uh, your insurance company or you know, when you're leasing your next car, I, I could I could see that being a convenient thing. So I would I would raise my hand to be a part of that. So there's a there's a, a specific possibility down the road, whether that's scary or fun. I, I think that's I think that could be something kind of neat to have out there. So we, we we could put that one in our innovation roadmap. Yeah, self sovereign identity. I, that might be the the topic of our next show that we have you on, David. Um, we we really appreciate you joining us today. I know we're out of time, unfortunately. We always you know hit up against this sooner than we we could we expect. Certainly want to have you on the show again, and thank you to all of our listeners for once again listening to your real talk about real identity. We look forward to to having you back next time. Thanks, everyone.